Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Well, that's strong of good morning over here, but you guys are pretty strong too, so that was really good. It's good to be with you guys uh, this morning as uh, we continue on in the series. Uh, let's see, we looked at uh, the questions we're dealing with anger. We did that two weeks ago. How many went home angry that day? <laughs> um, and, then, uh, and then last week, Pastor Charlie did a great job on you know how to pray and the elements of prayer. And today... Um, we're going. Uh, it's my my job now this morning to take you into um, why doesn't God do something about evil? And how many have ever even thought about that question right there or been posed that question? Because they will throw the question up to they meaning a non-believer. And um, uh, let me. I just need to share some things as I begin today. Um, we all know there's evil in the world, right? We see it. We've experienced it. Some of it. We've all of us have done a little some evil somewhere. Because uh, we're fallen people, and this is um, this is one of the more tough topics. And I'm going to tell you up front that to try to cover every possible, but you're going to your, your statements will be what? But what about? But what about? What about? I can't do that in 40 minutes. This is an impossibility. And so I'm going to stay uh, within the framework of just evil. I know we, somebody questioned, oh, how about pain? How about suffering? Look, I don't like those commercials where the children are in hospitals with cancer. No one likes that, amen? And so there's these questions of pain and suffering, and I don't have time to go into that part today, but I will tell you there's a very simple baseline answer to that, and that is, guys, this isn't heaven, right? Don't, don't pretend it's heaven. Don't pretend like there's supposed to be some perfection that we're living in. It's not. We are living in a fallen, corrupt world. And all you have to do to understand that biblically is you remember when Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the desert? Anyone remember that one? If you read Luke's account, there comes a moment when Satan's going to offer Jesus, oh, the dom- here, I'll give you this domain if you just worship me. And Satan even says, he goes, for this power, this domain, it's been handed over to me. That's a very important theological statement because now you realize that it wasn't always his, that somebody gave it to him, this power over this world. Well, that was Adam when Adam sinned. And once Adam sinned, he hands the power, and John, one of the 12 original disciples, writes in 1 John that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so this is not a perfect world, never will be. And because of sin, because of corruption, you have all these, all pain and suffering, all kinds of things there. Now, to the question, why doesn't God do something about evil? Well, I'd like to first, in all my introductory thoughts, I wanted you to think about the question, why doesn't God do something about evil? Well, inherent in the question is, are a couple problems. Because if you think about why doesn't God do something about evil, who are they blaming? They're blaming God. There's a blame within the question. Now, we know, let's go back to a fallen, corrupt world, that when Adam sinned, and Eve was out there with him, but Adam was the one who understood it. Now we know that one of the fallouts of that was Adam blames his wife. Remember that? And then one of the other fallouts is, well, the wife's not going to stop. She's going to blame the serpent. And have you ever noticed in marriages, you can start blaming each other really fast? You know, you got to be careful with stuff like that. That's a fallen nature sequence of events. 
So now we see when people say, why doesn't God do something about that? They're just following the fallen nature sequence. They're going to blame somebody. That is a problem right there. Now, let me give you the second problem within the statement to show you what that, why that's a problem. Why doesn't God do something about evil? When somebody says that or question, makes the question that, why doesn't God do something about evil? If you really think about it, they're not being honest. It is not an honest question because they're not being honest with themselves because the real question should be asked this way why didn't God a holy, sinless, perfect God why didn't he kill me in my sleep last night for the things that I said and did and thought yesterday why didn't God do that see that's the real question and that's not where they're going to ask that's why it's a dishonest question because really what a person is doing, they say, why doesn't God do this? What they're really saying, why doesn't God do something about the evil out there? And that's the most simplistic way to put it. So you want God to do something about the evil out there, when in reality, they're not talking about or won't even bring up the evil inside here, right? And every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us. Every one of us has walked away from it. Every one of us goes our own way. That's what the Bible teaches. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And so when they pose the question, Inheriting the questions blame fallen nature and then they're not honest because they're not being honest about their own sinful nature does that make sense so far okay so here's the way the argument goes and it, it's pieced together different ways but I'm going to give you one of, one of the arguments that they'll state at you as I'm still introducing this thing they'll say God is the author of everything evil is something therefore God is the author of evil that's the argument that they make right there now, before I get into answering that, that argument against, against God and why doesn't God do something about evil, I want to take you into what the foremost or the most well-known, maybe it's the foremost, the most well-known atheist on our planet. His name is Richard Dawkins. How many of you have heard of Richard Dawkins? He is one of the foremost atheists, if not the number one atheist in the entire world. And here's one of the things that he has stated uh, about our world right now. This is his quote. This is not mine. He says, The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, meaning no God, no purpose, meaning no God, no evil, no good. We'll get to that in a second. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Now, that's a pretty pathetic statement right there, is it not? Now, first thing, let me just sidebar this one and say that a true atheist, they can, and by the way, atheists can be moral people. Don't think they can't be. They can be moral. But the problem is, a true atheist doesn't really believe in good or evil. They just don't. And the reason they don't is because they have no basis for stating that's good or that's evil. In the true atheist mind, as Richard Dawkins just stated, what, what's going on here is Hitler was just Hitler. That's all he was. There's no reason, rhyme or reason to this thing at all. Now, I'll answer that statement right. Um, by the way, they have to go into Christianity to borrow from us why something is right and something is wrong. Any amens on that? Because they have no foundation for their right or their wrong at all. Now, within Richard Dawkins' statement, notice he eliminates God. Did he eliminate the problem of evil? Yes or no? No, he did not. But in eliminating God, he leaves the pain, the suffering, and the evil but he robs us and takes away something from us that every human on the planet needs, and that is hope. And without God, no matter the situation, there is no hope. Any amens? And that's what they do. So I think it's a, a pitiful way of operating. 
What he's really saying, going back to they cannot give you a foundation for good or evil and there's no God. Well, here's what he's really saying. And I, I borrowed this term from one of the great Christian debaters against atheism in the world. And uh, he, says, um, he says what they say about us is that we're just moist robots. And that's all we are. That we're just dancing to our DNA. There's no rhyme or reason why you're here. There's, and by the way, if you're a moist robot and you're dancing to your DNA, how many of you are married right now? Raise your hand. Women, raise your hand if you're married. Not the guy, just the women. How would you like to know that your husband had really no say in it whatsoever? He's just a moist robot. There's no rhyme or reason why he picked you. There's no rhyme or reason why he got on his knee and if he did and, and said, will you marry me? There's no rhyme or reason why he even said I live. There's nothing there because there is no God. You're just a moist robot. Wouldn't that be pathetic? Any amens? That was pretty weak. I expected a lot more noise on that one right there. Okay, so, so but that's what, that's what they're saying. And I think that's not good enough because you rob me of my hope. You eliminate God, rob me of my hope, and you don't even get rid of the problem. You don't even answer the question. So I think Christianity has a lot better way, a lot better answer, and I think it's the answer. So today I'm gonna take you down the road of this evil thing. I'll take you down three, three steps here, and you'll see as we go along how it works and bring you finally to point three of, you know, why hasn't God done something about this etc etc so point one if you're taking notes and be praying for me as you go because this is one of the more tougher subjects that you know I get to preach on throughout my lifetime and that is the first thing is evil can rise from perfection indirectly through freedom evil can rise from perfection indirectly through say it through freedom okay good now Genesis chapter one if you have your Bibles I'm going to take you back to the beginning of the creation 6,000 years ago, no, not millions of years ago, 6,000 years ago, to the first man and the first woman in God's creation. But I want to show you what God says in verse 26 of chapter 1 of Genesis, or read five verses, then we're going to jump to chapter 3 of Genesis. It says this, Then God said, Let us, notice the us, say us. That shows that God is one God, but He's in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our, there it is again, our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life I have given uh, every green plant for food and it was so now watch God saw that all that he had made and behold it was very what louder it was what good. not just good it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day so now we find that everything that God created was what it's very good it's good stuff right there now Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Now we're going to find Adam and Eve in the garden. We know they've been told something that they can't have. Now it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast 
of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, and that's really the issue of our time and all time, people will always question the word of God. Did God really say that? Is that really the, what the you ever notice that? There's always a push to disqualify and discredit the word of God and thus God. Said to the woman, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. He's questioning God's word. The woman said to the serpent, bad move right there. Don't be talking to the devil. Any amens? Don't walk on the devil's out to get me. Don't give him credit for anything. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. We can eat all these trees, all the fruit here. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Did God say they couldn't touch it? And the answer is no. God never said that. So now she's adding to God's word. But she knows the rule. And the rule is everything God created is good. Every, we can have everything there is here, but we can't have the fruit of that tree right there. That's the one we're not allowed to take from. And how many know when it's the one thing you can't have, what do you want? You want that thing right there. That's just you and me. You ever watch two toddlers with one toy? It's bad news. It's bad news right there. I'm watching it all the time in my life right now. It, it just, it's ugly, okay? It gets ugly. Now, here's what I want you to think about because the statement is evil can rise from perfection indirectly through freedom. I want you to think. God made everything good and perfect. He made two perfect people, put them in a perfect garden, in a perfectly good world. He created everything good, correct? Yes or no? Okay. And he tells them, you can eat everything here, but that tree you cannot eat from. So within that concept there, what does God give them the ability to what? To choose. Which means they have freedom, do they not? Which means they have a free will, do they not? Now, have you ever thought this? Because we typically look at things, objects, as good or bad. Now, have you ever thought just the creation of the ability, free will, freedom to choose? Have you ever realized that that is one of the good, perfect things? Any amens? No, did you catch what I just said? That's a good and perfect thing. The ability to choose. That's freedom right there. And because we are free, and because we've given free will by God, that indirectly evil can rise from that choice. Now, let's look and define free will on the screen. Let me give it to you right here. It says it. Here's free will. Good definition for you. Free will means the ability to make an unforced decision between two or more alternatives. So to have free will, I have to be able to have two different alternatives to choose from. Any amens on that? Now, Here's the thing. Do we love freedom? Yes, yes or no? Yes. Yeah, we do love freedom. Can I just get something off my chest right now? Or else I'm leaving. No, I'm joking. <laughs> look, look. I, I don't get it. No, I do get it. But, you know, we see right now uh, on some of our college campuses, they're marching against Israel. and They're in favor of Hamas. Some of them are marching are women. Any amens? It's nice to be free to march like that in America, isn't it? If those women went to Palestine under the Hamas, would they be able to do that? No, they wouldn't. It's really cool to have freedom, huh? I don't get what they're doing there. I'll give you another one. 
An atheist can stand out there on the sidewalk, right in front of the church, can scream, there is no God, there is no God. They can stand up at the mall, there is no God. You can go to a street fair, they can have a booth that says, there is no God, they can do all, and it's, freedom's nice, huh? But if they really believe that, why don't they fly to Iraq or Iran? and go to the market square there and start screaming in the big bullhorn, there is no God. What would happen in about three seconds? They'd be dead, friends. They'd be rushed. They'd be dead. So freedom is a very good thing, is it not? We love freedom. You don't see people march around saying, we want to be enslaved. Nobody does that, okay? Nobody does that. Now, let me explain freedom and why freedom and freedom of choice is super important. Remember on December 24th up here when I let you know, Michael Estrada and Charlie Headley and Robert Orr, remember they spoke and I did the intro? How many were here that day? I really want to know. Where were the rest of you at? No. No, it's true. It's a true thing that one-third of your congregation is not there on a Sunday morning. It's just a fact. Now, do you remember Michael when Michael spoke? Michael made a statement that was a blatant lie. He said, you know, I'm a movie guy. <laughs> See, I had to get him back for that one. I'm sitting in the side room right there. I wanted to rush the stage. <laughs> and then he mentions Gladiator, like that's one of his favorite. No, no, no. I'm, gla- I'm Maximus. <laughs> so I'm really getting upset about this as I'm sitting in the side room right there. That's not right. So let me correct everything and say, I'm a movie guy. <laughs> now with that said, how many of you have ever seen the movie The Princess Bride? Yeah. R- raise your hand really high. Princess Bride. The rest of you need to rush out today and watch that movie. <laughs> it's from the 80s. Um, it's dumb comedy. I, how many love dumb, dumb comedy? I love dumb. I just love dumb comedy. I just do dumb and dumber stuff like that. It's like Napoleon Dynamite. I, you know, our senior pastor like that. I know, I know. But I like dumb comedy. Dumb. Did you say? Did you say lame over there, Kyle? No. Okay, good, because you're on my hit list. But, but, um, but, um, Princess Bride. In the Princess Bride, and here's freedom. I'm not losing the idea of freedom. Okay, in The Princess Bride, you have Princess Buttercup. Remember her? That's her name, Princess Buttercup. And remember, she's forced to marry Prince Humperdinck, right? Remember that? Does she want to marry him? No, she doesn't. In fact, remember the wedding when the priest turns around and goes, marriage. Remember that? Okay, I'm only going to do that once per service, okay? Because they'll put it on tape and put it everywhere and make a fool of me and... Okay, I really don't care, but... Uh, and then she kisses the priest after the wedding ceremony, and the priest, who's, or the dad, the father of Humperdinck, he's not all there, and he goes, and she whispers, she goes, I'm gonna, you've always been nice to me, I'm gonna go kill myself, because you don't want to marry Humperdinck, she's married to him. And then he turns around and goes, and, she, and he says, she kissed me. Remember that scene right there? You don't remember. Okay, I won't get too far in the movie. Now, she don't want to marry him, Right? Right? She's forced to marry him, right? Is that love? It's not love. Have you ever thought this? When people complain about this world, they say, if you believe God, why do you go, you know, this evil and everything like that? Well, you take them back to choice. Freedom to choose free will is a good and perfect thing. People use it incorrectly. 
love can only I mean love can love can only exist in a world where you have the freedom to choose did you ever think about it like that it cannot exist anywhere else because if we're just moist robots we never had a choice but we are humans created in the image of God and we've been given a choice the freedom to choose and sadly we choose evil and so evil can rise indirectly from the freedom to choose now someone is going to tell you but, but God still made evil possible by doing that he's responsible then you say is Henry Ford responsible for every drunk driving death in history because he made the car he made it possible is he responsible and the answer is philosophically no philosophy to love wisdom no because if you follow their thinking that God made it possible there he's responsible then you've got to go find all the parents of every murderer and serial killer and arrest the parents and put them on charges and put them in prison because they made it possible correct okay what I'm trying to show you is you see how you can use wisdom and logic to defeat the arguments any amens on that because their arguments don't make sense if you take the arguments down the road and use logic and wisdom their arguments fall short and so no I would just use the, the Henry Ford argument no just because he invented the car doesn't mean he's responsible for all the drunk driving deaths that's a choice that people made due to free will amen to that one okay good so we understand so far am I doing okay so far good because you're my guinea pig first service okay no I'm joking okay point two let's talk about what evil is evil is a parasite and I think it's very important we talk about this just not for a long time but evil is a parasite now C.S. Lewis how many have heard of C.S. Lewis the great great he's passed but he used to be an atheist and he became a Christian he's a great philosophical theologian and his time been great arguments any C.S. Lewis books read them because the guy's brilliant to stand for the faith he says this and it's a brilliant simplistic quote he says evil is a parasite not an original thing have you ever thought that that evil is a parasite it's not an original thing now to understand that think of it like this has anyone ever been to the supermarket and you're pushing your cart putting things in there and you've seen a cloud of rust moving through the aisles picking up things and putting it in the cart has anyone ever seen that because if you have we have ushers going to usher you out right now you've never seen that right rust is not an original thing rust is a parasite rust can only exist because it attaches to iron and it begins to rust that thing but in and of itself the iron is fine that's the original thing but rust is a parasite for instance I'll give you another one marriage good thing right yeah very few of you said that I'm really uh, you're going uh, I gotta think about that one Um, sex and marriage good thing right you scaredy cats (laughs) sex and marriage good thing right 
You know, I don't hear good out of this ear, but it's pretty loud over there. Okay. So sex and marriage between the man and the woman, a real man and a real woman. Okay, I got to make that clear today, okay? XX, you're a girl, XY, you're a guy. Nothing can change that, okay? Um, yeah, it's science. Um, okay. So marriage, good thing. Sex and marriage, good thing. Adultery. Bad thing? Evil thing? Does adultery even have an existence without the concept of marriage? It can't happen. It can't happen. See, marriage is the original thing. Adultery is this parasite like rust that attaches. And that's what evil is. God makes everything good. Everything's right. Everything's good. And then here comes evil, and evil just is an attachment. It's a parasite to something good. Is it not? Does that make sense? Because I thought, C.S. Lewis, that was a brilliant way to put it right there. Now, that's enough on that one. Let's get to point three, because here's the point where I really want to drive something home. And this is why when I told you in the beginning, you have all these, but what about, but what about, I can't answer all those on a Sunday. Now, the question back is, why doesn't God do something about evil? Remember the question? Okay, number three, evil cannot be destroyed yet. Yet. Now, here's the argument they throw at us, and it can come in different forms, but here it is. If God was good, he would defeat evil. If God was all-powerful, he could defeat evil. But evil is not defeated. Therefore, there is no such thing as God. They're deducing right now. They're looking at the world. They're saying, well, no, God's not doing anything about evil. He could, but he's not doing anything. So therefore, there can't be any God. So they're saying there's no God because of what we see, all the evil in the world. There's no God or he's powerless and this and that. They're wrong on all accounts. They're wrong everywhere. Here's the, the logical, truthful, biblical statement in reality. Just because God has not defeated evil does not mean he will not eventually defeat evil. Any amens? See, we don't have the final chapter yet. God isn't done. We haven't waited long enough for what God's going to do. Let me tell you something about our, every human on the planet and God. God would rather create us humans and wrestle with our rebellion than just be a God who reigns over and has relationship with rocks and trees. Did you catch what I said? Okay, in case that went just like that. I'm going to give you an illustration. I'm a movie guy. God would rather wrestle with our rebellion than reign over rocks and trees. Castaway, Tom Hanks. He's stuck on that island. Is he craving human interaction and fellowship? So much so that he names a, what, soccer ball? Names volleyball. So, so sorry. <laughs> a volleyball! Wow, man. Wow, God. Whew. 
What does he name him? Why? Because he needs relationship. Right? Did you know that God, the Trinity, I know, I know the word's not in the Bible, but we just use that term. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the one Godhead. Have you ever thought that God is a fellowship? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought that? They are a fellowship, fellowshipping with each other. And then in John 1, John writes, but to as many as received Jesus Christ, to them they could be called the sons of God. Sons means you come into a family. He, they're a fellowship of three persons, one God, and they invite, God invites us to come into the fellowship. That's why fellowship is so important. Every human needs it. Tom Hanks on that island, raining over rocks and trees. It's not enough, is it? It's not enough. He needs to be around humans. He needs human companionship. God would rather wrestle with our rebellious wills than rain over rocks and trees. If you've raised kids, you understand that. Yes or no? Have your kids ever driven you crazy? Raise your hand. Raise both feet. Stick your tongue out at me. Just yes, but you'd rather have those little satan. I mean, those beautiful. Those beautiful children, you'd rather have that than walk in a backyard of rocks and trees, right? And that's the same thing with God. He'd rather, He's going to create us. Yeah, He knows we're going to go do stupid stuff, free will. But then He, he does this because He'd rather wrestle with our rebellion than just have rocks and trees. Now, okay, so God hasn't done, hasn't done something about evil? Yeah, okay, good, good, yeah. Okay, if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. That's where I want to drive it. Okay. Now watch this. The question, why doesn't God do something about evil? The answer, he hasn't done something about evil yet. And here's the answer. It's always been in your Bible. Watch this. Chapter, Second Peter, chapter three, verse three through. We'll go through nine. This, um, know this, first of all, that in the last days. Stop right there. The last days, biblically, Acts chapter two started when the church was born a couple thousand years ago on the day of Pentecost. That's the, it says it right there. This begins the last days. We're just in the PM part of the last days. But in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, saying, and here's what they're going to say in the last days. Where's the promise of his coming? In other words, come on, you guys have been saying Jesus come back for a long time. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was, was from the beginning of creation. He says, look, it's always been this way. Nothing's changed. Jesus hasn't come. Give me a break. There, there's no Jesus. There's no God. Come on, there's no God. That's what they're mocking. That's what they're saying. Nothing going to change. Verse five. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. And here's the crux. That by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water in the creation record and by water through which the world at that time, antediluvian period, 
Noah's flood, was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of, say it, judgment, and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow, verse 9, about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any. Who is any? It's everybody. Any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Okay. What's that telling us? Mockers say, oh, come on. There's no judgment. There's never been judgment. Things are the same. And he says, they have forgotten something. They have forgotten that God has already done something about evil on a massive scale. Has he not? It's the flood, the great deluge of planet Earth. And then he adds that they forget that and they don't realize that the next judgment of evil is coming. The first one is by water. The second one is by fire it's coming just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen Noah's flood he uses this as evidence Peter one of the 12 followers of Jesus Christ come on Jim you can't believe in a flood a global flood of course I can what evidence it's everywhere why are there marine fossils at, up at top of the Himalayas? Real me that one, Batman. If there was a global flood, what would we expect to find? Billions of bones there buried under layers and layers of rock moved there by water when it was soft and moldable. What do we find all over the earth? Billions and millions of bones laid under rock layers moved there by water when it was pliable. Why is it we can look at the Grand Canyon and see the layers and you go there, oh, hey, millions of years for this to happen and each layer they're saying that's uniformitarianism, everything's moved the same way and they're saying little by little, little by little but inside the layers of the Grand Canyon and everywhere else on the planet you find fully formed animals that were buried there rapidly. That's the great deluge of Noah's flood. You cannot have a fossil unless they're buried rapidly. It's impossible. And they're whole. They're whole in there and they're fossilized in there. You have jellyfish, you have squid who would disintegrate in days, completely fossilized that fast. You have fish, they're eating other fish, fossilized that fast, buried that fast. How many hunters in the room? How many High Sierra people are hunters? Raise your hand. High Sierra people, you got to go to the mountains, meaning just have to go to the mountains for hunters, okay? The rest, of, we got to give them a class on this right here. Okay, be honest. If uniformitarianism is right, where little by little over millions and millions and millions of years, little bits, little bits, little, if an animal died in a spot, let's say it's a deer, barrier hunter, if it died in a spot and just takes millions and millions and millions of years, is that for next layer, next, and the, you know, the animal's this high, dead, would that animal be there after two weeks? It wouldn't be there. It could never be there. And it could never fossilize. My gosh, have you ever driven by the campus when the vultures are out here? No? 
It's every time I got to deal with a mean congregant. I, no, I'm just joking. I'm joking. But every so often an animal dies out here. I don't know how it dies, but you will see vultures along the fence. They're taking their turns picking that thing, man, until there's nothing left. See, uniformitarianism, it's not the answer. It had to be, because if it's that, then there'd be nothing left. But a great deluge answers it. All these things were buried. Why do you have all these dinosaur graveyards around the world? I mean, they're there, moved there by water. They're articulated. That's the full body. They're moved there by water, buried and fossilized rapidly. Noah's flood. Like I said, you go to the Grand Canyon, eight million years for the Colorado River. Shut up. <laughs> Took a couple weeks as the water drained. When Psalm 104 says the mountains rose and the valley sank and the water starts to drain. Where's the water from Noah's flood? Go to the Pacific Ocean, go to the Atlantic. It's all out there, okay? Read up on Mount St. Helens in a matter of hours. One volcano. Boom, 1980. Some of us were alive then. I wasn't. <laughs> Look, it's a tough topic. I've got to throw my jokes in, okay? But you go there and you find there's a valley, a, a mini Grand Canyon there. Layers, layers, and layers. Different layers. Made in hours. Don't tell me that a massive deluge couldn't make that Grand Canyon in a matter of weeks when everything's so soft and everything's moving and the water's draining. Don't tell me that. It's the only answer to these things whatsoever. Why do they find in some places, and it could be a mile deep of sediment, layer after layer after layer, why do they find full trees in there upside down? They were shot, boom, blown off, and went upside down. If it was slow uniformitarianism, little by little by little, would that tree have even survived over millions of years? No, but it's a full tree inside the layers of sediment, fossilized. So, yeah, do I believe in a global flood? I think I'd be stupid not to believe it. Plenty of scientists are now believing it because that's the evidence everywhere. It's everywhere. I could give you a few more things, but I know you don't like this. No, I'm just joking. But he says, Peter says, is God going to do something about evil? Yeah, but it escapes their notice. They throw away Noah's flood. And do you know why they try to discredit Noah's flood. By the way, there's over 200 flood legends around the globe from all these groups of people. That's another evidence right there. But they try to throw away everything in Genesis from chapter 1 to chapter 11. They have to. If they can discredit that, they can discredit God and therefore God's not real and God's not... And so they try to get rid of all of it. No. God's going to judge it again. He's going to do something about evil. And you go with fire. But here's what Peter says to the question why doesn't God do somebody? He said, God isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This year in, in August, I, I, will, I will have walked with God 45 years. I know. It's like, I don't know if that's good or bad anymore. You know, I'm getting older, but I'm glad Jesus didn't come 46 years ago. 
because I would have been in bad shape. God isn't willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Pain and suffering in the world, here's the one pain and suffering they don't look at. They turn a blind eye to. What is God, Jesus the God-man, what's he doing on a cross 2,000 years ago? Suffering, pain. What's he doing there? What's he doing there? That makes no sense. Why would God hang on a cross? Because he's walking in our pain. He's walking in our dilemma. He's walking in, carrying our sins so we could be saved. That's what he's doing. God isn't only that any should perish, but all should come to repent. That's why God hasn't done anything yet on a massive scale. So the question this morning is this. Which thief on the cross are you? Jesus hangs on the cross to save us. The one thief, he turned to Jesus says, Jesus, you know, forgive, us, forgive me my sins, you know, and, and, you know. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. The man was saved. He put faith in Jesus the God-man. The thief on the other side, sarcastically ridiculing, says, if you are the Christ, come down off the cross and save us. He's not going to believe it. He ends up in hell. So why is Jesus on the cross? Why has he waited to come down and deal with evil on a worldwide scale? To keep us from eternal quarantine in hell. And friends, if you think there's a purgatory, read the whole Bible. It ain't there. That's a lie. It's a man-made concept. If you think you can be baptized for a dead family member or friend, get them out of there, you can't. Nowhere in the Bible you're going to find this doctrine. You have to make a decision. Which thief on the cross are you? The repentant one? Or the one that says, forget God. I don't buy this stuff. <laughs> Good luck, because I don't believe in luck, but you'll need it. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. If you've never given your life to Christ, close your eyes, bow your head. If you've never given your life to Christ, and it's making sense now, and it's making sense now, that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the Messiah. That He came to die for you. He came to save you. God isn't only that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's been waiting for you. I don't know if this is your last opportunity in your life. But it is an opportunity for you to walk with Him, to walk to live for him and I mean live for him this is not about well I just believe there's a God friend that is not going to get you to heaven that's going to take you to hell you must believe that Jesus Christ the God man came to earth went to a cross carried your sins he they killed him they buried him he three days later he rose from the dead deity death resurrection you must believe that as fact and there are eyewitnesses who wrote in history to the facts. That's what I'm telling you you have to do. And then follow him forever. So if, you, if you've never put your faith in Christ and become a follower of Jesus, then right now is your moment. Or if you backslid and you're not living for God, you know you're not. It's time to get it right. You need to rededicate your life. Get it right. So if you'd like to put your faith in Christ or rededicate your life, right where you're sitting, by a sign, as a sign between you, me, and God, I want you to open up your eyes and look at me right now. Look at me right now. I'm going to look back at you. When our eyes meet, you can close them. Do it right now. 
Now I'm going to say this prayer. And those who looked up at me, you say it with me. Everyone say it with them. And as you say it, you must believe. You must put your faith in the gospel. Jesus is God. And he came and he died. He was killed by crucifixion. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. So here we go. Repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for being the substitute for my judgment because of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Today I choose to follow you with my whole heart. I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray. God, I pray for those who looked up. Follow Jesus, friend, because he knows if you're not. Get into church. Get a Bible. We have Bibles for free here. Start reading the New Testament. Stay in the New Testament for a couple years and read about the one who saved you. But know, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're born again. The Spirit of God lives in you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. I pray you plead your blood upon them. Keep them safe from the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Stand up with me, everybody. Lord, keep me outward focused and fill me with your Spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. Amen. Remember the Corn Life Services table is out there. Go look at the information. Go get a hold. God bless you guys. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.